This morning, I just want to say a couple of things. If I look funny, more funny than normal, uh, if my mouth doesn't work right, I'm not trying to imitate Elvis. Uh, but thank you very much. But uh, uh, I had some surgery last month, and my mouth's still a little crooked. So uh, I'm not making faces at you. Uh, so be patient with me for that. Uh, I want to say appreciate Pastor... Uh, Taylor, Pastor N.R. and Sarah for uh, giving me this opportunity, us this opportunity this morning. Uh, we love this church. We love you people. And I wanted to say this, uh, for the little over a year we've been home, been back to West Virginia, back to Princeton. We have, I guess I've been blessed to preach in a dozen or more different churches. And uh, we have visited several others. And I just want to say this morning, I hope you know how blessed you are. Um, it's just all I want to say. I, I hope you know how blessed you are uh, with this church, with your leadership and your praise team. A lot of churches out there are struggling. And God has really blessed you guys. And I would like to see you take full advantage of everything this church offers you. Uh, I would love to see you on Wednesday nights. We have such a good time on Wednesday nights, such an educational time. You're only here for a short period. I'd like to see you take advantage of that. Um, that's all I'm going to say about that. But this is actually, I'm going to give you a little bit of what my sermon is going to end up being. Uh, probably today I'm going to reach a point, some of you are going to turn it off. I'm just going to ask you to not do that. Uh, give me a chance to finish. But how many of you know, how many of you know church has changed? You know, I never would have thought we'd see the day that pastors would almost have to beg as people come to church. Uh, it's not been that long ago, folks, that we came three times a week. It's not been that, and we didn't fuss about it. In fact, we look forward to it. You know, then we begin to lose Wednesday nights and now we've lost Sunday nights, and now it's difficult to get people in church regularly, even on Sunday morning. And uh, it shouldn't be that way. And we don't realize what we may be a part of, and we've just let the enemy just scoot us completely away, almost, from this aspect of our life. Church used to be the most important thing to people. Now it's a passing thing. And it's not here, it's everywhere. When you go to churches that used to be full, and you see 12 people sitting in them, uh, it's, it's hard. And it shouldn't be that way. Amen. Just hold your amens down to the end. If you have a Bible this morning, turn to Psalm chapter 9. I'm only going to read... Um, a couple verses and here, and then I'm going to turn to Exodus chapter 5 uh, to begin with. This is going to be different this morning. Uh, I've wrestled with this all week. Um, so I'm going to trust the Lord that I'm on the right path. Psalm 9 verse 16. I'm going to pray first. Father, we ask your blessing on the reading of this word. And Lord, we thank you for the wonderful praise and worship we just had, taking us into your presence, celebrating our Savior, shouting and rejoicing in the blood of Christ. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for that blood that cleanses me. Bless this service, bless this reading, and give us ears to hear and a heart to receive. In Jesus' name. Psalm 9, verse 16, The Lord is known by the judgment He executes. Now, that's a side of God you don't hear anything about today. Judgment. It's not popular. You can preach it in a local church because people are going to come back anyhow, but you don't hear TV people talking about the judgment side of God. We used to hear it all the time. It used to bring people to the altar. He used to win souls. But the Lord is known by the judgment He executes the wicked is snared in the work of His own hands. 
And the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. Now when I say that word hell, first thing that comes to our mind is a burning torment. That's not what it's talking about here. In reality, it's talking about the grave. It's talking about a place where they are forgotten. A place of destruction and a place of pending judgment. And the psalmist wrote, the wicked, that is where they will end up. And any nation, any group of people, any any country that overall forgets God, that is where they will end up. That's what the Scriptures say. They will end up in a place of judgment. They will stand account for the ways they have forgotten God, for the ways they have abandoned truth. Any nation, all nations, will stand before a holy God and give an account of how they have responded to the Word of God, to the sacrifice of Christ, and to the principles of Scripture. Now, if you turn with me back to Exodus real quick, Chapter 5, we'll find a well-known example of what I'm talking about. Chapter 5, verse 1, Exodus. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, God of Israel, let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. You know the story. God sent Moses and Aaron into Egypt to lead the children of Israel out. They went before Pharaoh... This is a Pharaoh who was described that no longer knew Joseph, no longer recognized the teachings of Joseph and the children of Israel who had migrated there from Canaan into Egypt. They'd been forgotten. Israel's God had been forgotten. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey His voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. And we know how well that worked out for Pharaoh. Amen. First the ten plagues, then the entire destruction of the army and even of Pharaoh himself. The judgment of God fell on the nation that forgot God and the wicked were brought to a place of judgment and God administered that judgment. I don't care how how we want to sweeten it up. God did that. He parted the Red Sea, and then He closed the Red Sea. Amen. That's just the truth of the Gospel. Drop my lid. I'm going to drink it anyhow. I don't need a lid. Now, After World War II ended in the 40s, I don't know the exact year, 41, 42, 43, somewhere along that line, you know, we were brought into the war at Pearl Harbor. And a different nation emerged after that war. America had never been recognized as a superpower. Uh, it was a struggling nation trying to find its way. But that war brought new life to this country. And when World War II was over, there were two major entities that emerged from that war. Great Britain had begun to decline. But the two nations that emerged was, of course, the United States, and the second one was Russia. And Russia was known, and they were proud of the fact that they were communistic and that they were atheist. They denied God. They didn't believe in our God. They, they laughed at America. They laughed at Americans who would serve a God they couldn't see, couldn't touch, couldn't feel. They have no understanding of faith and no interest in the Scriptures and no interest in learning. And our president in America at that time, Eisenhower, decided that we need to take a stand against communistic Russia and tell them who we are and tell them that we are a nation of faith And that we'd be proud of it. And that's 1954 is when the One Nation Under God was added to the Pledge of Allegiance. It was added solely to say to Khrushchev and to Russia, America is one nation under God, and by God we're proud of it. 
That was the statement made in 1954. 1955, to make that statement more adamant and to make it be more realistic and and just be more visible, they decided to print, In God We Trust on Our Money. So that was the stand we made coming out of World War II. Right in the middle of the 1950s, America stood and the people rejoiced. And the nation rejoiced. That America was proud to be one nation under God. I wish we still were. Now hang on. Don't throw anything at me. But let me keep going. 1960, something strange happened. John F. Kennedy was elected president. I don't care if you're a Democrat or Republican. That means nothing to me. My mom and dad loved John F. Kennedy. They hung a picture on their wall signed by JFK for years, and they were proud of it, even when, well, later on it doesn't matter. But you know who JFK was? He's the first Roman Catholic president in the United States. First of all, you say, well, that's nice. That's good. They're good people. I'm not saying they're not good people. But did you know who a Roman Catholic's first allegiance is to? The Pope. Not God. Because they believe the Pope is God on earth. And when a cardinal is promoted to Pope, everything they say after that is infallible. It's not debatable. It becomes Scripture to a Catholic. Anything they do is acceptable. The allegiance goes to the Pope, not to God. You say, well, that's not really that big a deal, is it? Well, you tell me. Who is our allegiance to be to? I pledge allegiance to the flag, but you know how I do it? When I say it, I say, Lord, I pledge allegiance first to you and foremost, then to the flag. Because my allegiance is to God. It's not to a nation. It's not to a pope. It's not to a politician. It's not to a political party. It's not to a movement. It's not to a ministry. It's not a preacher on TV. My allegiance is to God. Because He's the only one I'll stand before one day and face judgment. And contrary to the belief of people in this country, God is not an American. God is not a Republican. God is God. And our allegiance goes to Him first and foremost. With John F. Kennedy, that changed. The leader of our nation, the leader of the free world, declared my allegiance first goes to a man. 1962, 1963, what happened in this country? Bible reading and prayer. Taken out of school. Was there a consequence? You tell me. And the church slept. And the church continued to support the politicians that did that because people are more concerned about what politicians can put in their pocket than what they stand for where Scripture is concerned. So we lost prayer and Bible reading. Up until that time, children heard Scripture read to them every day in the schools of America. But from the mid-1950s, we're in one nation under God. We're now a nation that has begun to select whether or not we want God in our midst or not. 1973, what happened? Roe v. Wade. I want you to understand that wasn't the first time abortion was ever an issue in this country. The funny thing about Roe v. Wade, most people don't know Roe, who was the name given to the woman that the case was filed against, that wasn't her name, just the name given to her for her anonymity, she decided to keep her baby. Baby grew up, I guess, still living today. 
But as a result of that case, see, up to that time, states decided. There were still abortions going on. Only God knows the millions of babies that's been murdered in the mother's womb. The amount. Under Roe v. Wade, there's over 60 million we know since 1973, but they've been doing it many years before. It's our nation. Under God. Begins to legalize murdering babies in their mother's womb. What if Mary had had an abortion? What if Elizabeth had had an abortion and Jesus and John the Baptist wiped out of the picture before they had a chance to see the light of day? Now, I'm not fussing about anybody that's had an abortion. It's a cruel thing. Some people have went through it, and it's been hard. The issue is not the abortion. The issue is what I'll tell you about just a little later. But then we legalized abortion in over 60 million, near 66 million babies since 19... And guess what? Just because they overturned Roe v. Wade, yes, that's a good thing. States are still aborting babies. And if you live in one state that don't do it, all you got to do is drive to another state that does. Just a little bit more inconvenient. And the church has slept. The only time I ever heard anything protested about abortion has been from a pulpit. And it's good preaching. I mean, I can get some amens about the evils of abortion. I can get some amens about... But then we go home and we don't do anything. We just want to cast judgment and make young women who didn't have the education we have or the knowledge we have or for whatever reason have went through that make them feel like dirt. But we've basically been quiet about it. Until we're in these rooms like this and everybody, hey man, that's good preaching. That's good preaching. I mean, I, I preach long enough to know that if I tell my sermon's not going anywhere, if I switch to abortion, <laughs> I get some amens and some eyes open. I mean, we're mad about it. We don't like it. We just never did anything about it. Then the 80s come around and the concept of family still being undermined, which is what abortion did, it undermined the family. Then in the 80s, this concept of no-fault divorce happened, which put millions of children into single-parent households. I mean, you don't have to have a reason. Up till then, you had to have a reason. You can divorce somebody today because she burnt your beans. No fault. You can go to a judge. Both of you agree. There don't have to be a reason. In West Virginia, you can get divorced in 30 days. Now, if you've been divorced, I'm not preaching against you. I'm not saying you've done the impartable sin. I know marriages fail. I know we live in a culture where where uh, uh, things happen and divorces come. But really, it's not the act of divorce. It's the undermining of the family is the spirit behind that. It's Blended families become difficult to manage. I've been a school bus driver where little kids get on my bus not know where they're going home. Tears in their eyes. I look at them and I say, you're not normally on my bus. I'm supposed to go to grandma's. Where's grandma live? I don't know. How's the kindergarten have an address for grandma? The blendedness that that still undermines the prison. Now, many families have been successfully blended together. But for every one that has, there's probably a hundred that hasn't. There's residue that comes into it. It undermines the family. Yet our nation celebrates it. Even the divorce rate in the church, and I know this is not going to make me the most popular preacher, but even the, the divorce in the church is as high as it is in society. And I'm not saying you've done something eternally wrong that you can't be forgiven. That's not the point of my message because that's not true. But it's just telling you if we're going to claim to be one nation under God, we have to live by the principles God has given us, whether we like them or not. Amen? 1990s come. Woo! Now it gets starts to really getting bad. 
Because now we have the issue of up until the 1990s, it was illegal for a homosexual to be in the military. Because the saying was, nobody wants to be in a foxhole with a homosexual. That was the saying. That's how intelligent that opposition was. So Bill Clinton comes out and says, well, we'll just do a no ask, no tell. Don't ask and don't tell. Uh, that if you're gay, don't tell anybody. You just stay in the military. You don't have to come out. Just don't tell anybody. And don't ask nobody else. You're, you're not allowed to ask anybody if they're gay. So that changed. The culture of our country changed. And we don't realize the movement of homosexuality had begun over a hundred years prior to that and was just growing, just growing. And the church just shows up on Sunday and you can preach against it. I mean, you get some good amens when you start preaching against homosexuality. Oh, Lord, yeah, because everybody's against it. It's just nobody knows how to handle it. Nobody knows what to do when it comes to their home. It's difficult. It's hard. It's, it's a hard issue. And it undermines family. And it undermines the, the principles of our Creator. And you never win anybody by taking this book and beating them over the head with it. And you'll never win a gay person by telling them they're an abomination. There's a whole lot in here we need to work on correcting besides just that. Amen. And since the year 2000 rolls around, states start legalizing same-sex marriages. And towards the end of uh, that first decade of this 21st century, President Obama repealed Don't Ask, Don't Tell and allowed gays to openly serve in the military with no consequence. And he who got elected saying marriages between one man and one woman evolved, he said. To where now he recognizes marriage between any willing participant. And we preached about it. And we got mad about it, but we still voted for the politicians that put the money in their pockets. That gave us the tax breaks. Yeah, that's, see, for some reason the church in America has become convinced our answer is found in politics. How ignorant can we be? When has man ever done anything unselfish? Our answer is not in politics. I don't care who sits in the White House, God's still on the throne. <laughs> He's still who our allegiance goes to. And I don't have to spend the rest of the day telling you what's happened over the last 12 or 13 years. Now our kids don't know whether they're children or cats. we got kids in school thinks they're a cat. And the schools have to give them litter boxes. How many of you find that just... It's an undermining of a nation under God. And for the most part, the church, so much of this stuff has infiltrated the church. We've silenced ourselves. We're afraid to say anything. Because there's somebody's going to say, thou shalt not judge. Somebody's going to tell us that you don't have a right to judge. And yet the Scriptures command us to make judgments on things that are contrary to the Scriptures. And I'm not saying these people are less than humanity, that they are not loved by God, that they are not worthy of salvation. I'm just saying all these things over the last 60 years, and I could list so many others, and you know so many, all these things for the last 60 years has undermined the family. And undermine the church. And we've basically 
we're more concerned now with how many people are in the pews than what the people in the pews know about the Lord. And the church has basically been asleep. So we have all these things beginning back with the election of our first Roman Catholic president to guess what today we have our second Roman Catholic president. Now you may be opposed to our president because he's Democrat. That's right. That That's your right. You may love him because he's Democrat. That's your right. My concern about him is he's a Roman Catholic. And his allegiance is to the Pope more than it is to this book and to the God we claim to be one nation under. And I'll tell you something else a lot of people don't know. We have eight out of nine Supreme Court justices are Roman Catholic. Not a Christian on the United States Supreme Court. The ninth one is a Jew. If something ever happened in this world right now and the Pope rose up and made a global voice, I don't care what the lawyers that stand before the Supreme Court say, those eight justices are going to go with the Pope said because they believe their salvation is dependent on their obedience to that man. We who claim to be one nation under God, we carry it on our money if you're lucky enough to have some. We say it in our pledges. But are we? Look at our evidence. We've murdered the unborn. We've defied marriage laws. We've defied even human existence. I'm headed somewhere. Abortion defied the very fundamental commandment God gave Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Abortion, with abortion, man took authority to determine who should be born. But homosexuality defies procreation altogether. It tells God, it says to our God that we claim to be one nation under, it tells Him, we defy your commandment to procreate. These things run deeper than moral issues and church issues. And I want you to look at the church today. Our pulpits across America, many denominations filled with gay people. Am I against gay people? No, the church ought to be full of them. The same way it ought to be full of people who've committed adultery or people who have stolen or people who are just lost their way or people who are hurt and wounded. Yeah, they need to hear the gospel, but they don't need to be trying to preach it. I'm sorry. If I'm too old-fashioned, I'm sorry. I mean, I don't have anything to lose but to give you this. Okay, because y'all not expecting me back next Sunday. NR has to come clean this mess up. So, y'all be looking to him. But I have a point in all this madness. God said, nations that reject Him will face judgment. Egypt faced judgment. But in America today, is anybody crying judgment? No. No, we think for some reason, it's creep. The arrogance of, of, of our society, of our government, who has openly defied God for 60 years, at every turn, that arrogance has creeped into the church and we think we are exempt from the judgment of God. Nobody preached COVID may have been a judgment against God's people. Nobody preached it. I did. I said when it first came out, I stood and declared in a parking lot, COVID will forever change the face of the church. And I preach this is what Jesus said 
in the last days he would separate the wheat from the tares. And guess what? The tares are still at home and the wheat came back. And I preached outside for about three weeks and I said, bless God, I'm not going to do this. We went back inside on June 9th that first year. And we had three services a week from then on, as long as I was there, pastoring. People said, what are you going to do if they show up to see if you're having church? I said, well, I'll be guilty. But I said, I'd rather be guilty than God show up and me hiding at home. But the church has changed. Look at it. COVID changed as it weeded us out. You better be glad you're here. I'm telling you, this stuff of sitting home in your pajamas and sipping hot chocolate and watching only by Facebook or whatever. Now, I know we got Facebook listeners, but they can't throw anything from where they're at. This stuff of doing that and saying that I'm going to sit at home because I'm concerned about COVID and getting out of bed on Monday morning and going to work and going to school. You're just fooling yourself. You ain't fooling God. You ain't fooling anybody else. I know COVID was real and you ought to take care of yourself. But bless God, the church ran and hid. And then what's worse, some churches took government money. I was called and said, you need to make an application to the church I was pastoring at the time. Called and told by our conference leadership, you need to make an application to get that money. And I said, there ain't no way. And he said, why? And I said, you think I'm going to give the government a, 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 a foothold to come into the church? Oh, all this, and I hope y'all didn't, but if you did, sorry again, NR, clean it up next week. But when you take government money, the government has a right to come in to your midst. I'd rather close the doors. But the church has stayed silent. Oh, I got warned during COVID. Every pastor did. You better not do this. You better not do that. First, they said you could have 10 people. Well, I went down the list of the roster of my church, invited 10 people besides the praise team, besides the volunteers, whatever it took to make the church service happen. They said you can have 10 people in a group. So I was having about 30. Because I had a lot of people need to do things. We did that for about two weeks, and I said, this is stupid. Let's just, come on. Come on. People came. There was no right or wrong during that. And my message is not COVID. We were all hand, our hands, we were handicapped as church leaders. We didn't know what to do. But now we're studying or seeing the effects of COVID churches. Declining so fast in America, hundreds are closing every week. So you're blessed today. So we have all this yet. Nobody thinks we've upset God. Now I'm going to get to my message. I'm going to read you a passage of Scripture. Just a very short one from the prophet Jeremiah. And then I'm gonna, I'm gonna meddle. If I haven't already. First five chapters of Jeremiah, God was using the prophet to speak his judgments against Israel for all the things that they had done. Israel were God's chosen people. If God chose to bring judgment against his chosen people, how much more those outside of that first covenant? And we brag that we're the only, the second nation on earth that was ever founded on the same principles that Israel was founded on. We brag about that, and that's true. And we should be proud of that. 
But just like Israel, we have departed from those principles. And Israel received judgment. But I want you to hear what, what God had to say about it. All those five chapters, God is talking about judging Israel and punishing them for these things and, and avenging Himself on that nation. And then He says this in chapter 5, verse 30. This is, this is so amazing. An astonishing and horrible thing has been committed in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests rule by their own power or by an iron hand, and my people love to have it that way. My people love it when the prophets prophesy falsely. And when the church leaders exercise authority with an iron hand. Folks, that's America's church. Don't go to sleep on me now. And my people love it that way. I've had a major struggle the last three or four years. And I have not handled it well. I'm going to tell you, I have not. You talking about, Alicia, you talking about apologizing? This is where I've had to send some text. And I know that wasn't the best way. I've had to apologize, not because I was wrong, but because I got a little animated a few times. I have a problem. I have a problem with today's prophets. Where'd y'all go? Because they prophesy falsely and nobody seems to care. Back in December, right after I had this surgery, I wasn't feeling good. First day we got out, my face was hurting really bad. And we went to Grant's to pick up a couple things and we ran into some old friends. And before I say anything, they were good good people, Christian people. They loved God. And all that good stuff, if they died, I believe they'd be with the Lord. I, but here's the first thing, the first thing the man said to me. He saw me and he smiled and he said, Hey brother, gosh, I ain't seen you in a long time. He said, we don't go to church anymore. We stay at home and listen to the prophets. It was the wrong thing to say to me. I said, really? I said, come on, honey, we, we need to go. But his wife had her. And we love these people. I said, you listen to the prophets? He said, yeah, don't you like the prophets? I said, well, I like those that prophesy the truth. But what I've heard of prophets since before COVID, they're batting about 50%. So no, I don't listen to him. No, I'm not interested in a prophet who all he's got to prophesy is politics. Because the Bible says the essence of prophecy is Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, when he comes, the spirit of truth, he will testify of me. He'll not testify of a political party. He'll not testify of a politician. He'll not testify of an athlete. And He'll not falsely tell you things to come. And how you can know, God said in the Old Testament, if they are real prophets, if what they say comes true. But when they curse COVID to die, and it don't die, and when they predict who's going to win the election, and they don't, that's what I told this guy. I said, listen, every prophet was saying about President, oh, but he was cheated, he was robbed, it was a lie. I said, maybe, maybe, but he's still living in Florida. And Joe Biden is in the White House. And will be in the history books as our president. So no, if that's all they got to say, I'm not interested. 
People eat it up. Then there was a movement, well, everybody's not perfect. Even prophets make mistakes. Where did you read that? God said if they prophesy falsely, kill them. That's what He said in Deuteronomy. Stone them. If what they say doesn't come to pass. But at least I'm not advocating murder. But at least don't listen to somebody that's not telling you things that come to pass. If you want to hear a prophet, get an audio Bible and turn on Isaiah. These are the prophets of God. Just cause, oh Lord, I didn't mean to meddle this deep, but in ours got his work cut out. <laughs> Listen, I'm serious about the church. We're chasing rainbows. And when he got done, his wife come up and he said, Boo, that's my nickname. Boo, don't listen to the prophets. <laughs> she said, he don't. She said, why? And she named a few names and I knew some of the prophecies and some of the stories from these people. I really wanted to go home. And I said, no, I'm not going to listen to a prophetess. When she tells me she's been to heaven and all the children's houses are made of jello. And when they take a bite out of their house, it just grows back. Now you would believe that. <laughs> and when they say that there's a Santa Claus village, and that Jesus, she saw Jesus with his hand around Santa and endorsing Santa to all the little kids in heaven. No, I'm not going to believe that. So I don't expect to hear from them. I sent an apology, not for what I said, but for how I said it. Because I get animated over it. I'm tired. I get frustrated at the church chasing these rainbows that there's no meat to. That there's no reality to. But people would rather believe a fantasy than the truth. The truth is in this country, folks, if God did that to Israel, we might look for some impending judgment. I know the prophets prophesy a great revival, but the Scriptures declare a falling away. But which is better? Which do people want to hear? They want to hear the great revival that's coming, the next outpouring, the next great awakening. What they don't realize, we are wanting that, but we are sitting in the middle of a falling away, and you may be caught up in it and don't even realize it. One by one they drop. COVID took some. There's no reason on this planet I'm not a doctor. I don't know all this stuff. I, it don't matter to me if it's come from China, if it come from a bat, I don't know if it come from a bad taco. It don't make any difference to me where it come from. We are not to react to that thing like we did. You you want to know, oh Lord. Alicia, I'm sorry. And people just chase. I, I get so frustrated really. It it hurts me. I know people I love dearly. That chase this nonsense. And it bothers me. When healing ministers during COVID canceled their crusades. When healing ministers shut down their churches. Don't that bother you? See, I'd be a whole lot better. I'd be a whole lot better if if somebody never showed me how to use a phone. Because see, I, I I discovered with my cell phone, 
I can look for stuff on YouTube and then I can cast it to my TV. It makes me think I'm, I'm smart. But the stuff that gets up there. And see, I'm the one that looks for the stuff that other people don't look for. <laughs> I come this far. This week I listened to a man for called his name you'd all know. And I'd love to call his name, but Millie won't let me. And I gotta go home with her. I'd love to call his name. But he's got some years and some news slipped that he'd had a pacemaker put in. And he's all into, you're not supposed to have any medical problems. But I heard him give his explanation about the pacemaker. And he had commanded that pacemaker to work right. So words are coming out of his mouth. I mean, the man about had a heart attack. He had to be taken to the hospital. He preaches that should never happen to anybody. He says you don't have faith if it does. But he has a pacemaker. He got caught. The news got out. He got caught. His explanation was, well, I know I've got that pacemaker. He said, but I told that pacemaker. You're in this body and you're in there with the Holy Ghost. So I command in the name of Jesus for you to work right. Couldn't he command his heart to work right? I'm not trying to rob your faith. I'm trying to get you to see. We've been chasing rainbows for so long. The church is asleep. Judgment might come. And where will we be? God ended that in uh, uh, Jeremiah saying, what will the matter of things be then? My people love the false prophets. They love to be told what to do. Oh, I'm just out of control. I know. But we got churches all over America that have elevated pastors and elevated their wives and you should love them and revere them and value them. But listen, they are your shepherds and they are your servants at the same time. But we've elevated them so much, now we call the wife of the pastor first lady. No! They're not to be put in positions like that. They are servants of Almighty God and servants to you and gifts of God to you. And you're lucky to have two in this church that treat it that way. Because I've been in places where they don't. I'll say this and shut up, maybe. But a few years ago, there was a man caught, a big-name man caught in sexual misconduct with boys in his church. The church paid him off. It was public news. And, and the church embraced the pastor. They didn't hold him accountable. Didn't make him give any answer as to why. The church just paid the boys off so there would be no suit against the church and business as usual kept going. I'd be scared to do that. Live a lie like that. And one night a prophet came to church. The prophet prophesied to him. That God was going to make him a giant on earth among men. How many of you love that kind of prophecy? Don't you like it when they say God's going to send you a bunch of money? <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. Don't hold your breath. Yeah. Yeah. God's going. That's the kind of stuff we'd like to hear. We don't want to hear anybody say God said if you don't change your way, you're going to face judgment. We don't want to hear that. That's not popular. That won't get a check out of anybody. But the prophet told this minister, God's going to elevate you, promote you, in so much that he had four men come out of the church and they had one of them big high back deacon's chairs sitting on the back, you know, it looked like a throne. And they sat him in that chair and had four 
men carry him around the church on the stage, lifted up in that chair like he was royalty. People loved it that way. Two weeks later, that man was dead. A healthy man. Dead. What happened to that prophecy? We've been talked to on Wednesday night that God never says anything outside of this Word. And if you want to be safe in your faith, if you can't find, until I find jello houses in Proverbs somewhere, I'm not going to believe it. Now, when I first heard that, I, I said, I want to find a prophet that says houses in heaven are made of cheesecake. Cause that's the one I want. And I can just eat it and it keep growing back. That would be heaven for me. Unending cheesecake. You keep your uh, cherries and strawberry toppings. I just want the cheesecake. I ain't found it in here. I haven't found Santa in here. In fact, I find Santa to stand against everything this book declares. Ooh. I feel like Wendy Bagwell. Y'all remember Wendy Bagwell? The song about the snake handling church? Brought the snakes in and set them down up front. And he said, Wendy Bagwell said, I looked over at Bubba. Said, Bubba, where's the back door? And Bubba said, there ain't one. And he said, reckon where they want one. (laughs) That's about how I feel right now after that last statement on Santa. Where's that back door? Yeah, I need to get out of here. I don't imagine when I get to heaven, or when we get to heaven, we'll see Santa in a leadership position. I'm not saying these people are evil, that these people aren't believers in the fundamentals of Christianity, but I'm saying, folks, we don't. God Himself said, God Himself said, if what they say comes true, then you can know I sent them. But there's no room for error. There's nowhere in the book of Isaiah where He said, oops. Nowhere in the book of Jeremiah where He said, I missed that one. Nowhere did Daniel say, from the lion's den nonetheless. I may have messed that up. No. No. Because when you speak the words of God... The world doesn't like it. Amen. Stand with me this morning. And I better quit. We've had connection with this church long enough. I felt liberty to preach like this this morning. I could have preached several other things that made you laugh more and smile. But uh, I'm worried about our country. And I'm worried about the church. Because the country can rise and fall. God will still be God. But His church is chasing rainbows in so many places and following people so blindly. This book's not studied, not looked at, not read anymore. Barely. We depend on mankind. People like me and whoever else. Listen, just because we're preachers, and just because we study, doesn't mean we know everything that needs to be known. We're struggling just like you. Our job is to get you to think, get you to dig, get you to pray, get you to look, get you to search. And if you want to hear God say something, pick it up and read it. It's full of what He has said. But when something comes across the airwaves, no matter how much you like it that way, if it doesn't come to pass, listen. If I, if your pastor got up here and preached Jesus didn't die on the cross, if he got up here and preached that Moses didn't part the Red Sea, 
If he got up here and preached, David never became king of Israel. After, after a handful of lies, you'd probably find somewhere else to go. A great falling away is what the Scripture says will happen. I believe we're in the middle of it, but I believe most people aren't even aware of it and couldn't believe for a minute they might be part of it. But we may be, you may be and not even realize. Gosh, it's not been that long ago, people, we all love church. What's changed? Has, Has the God of the church changed? Has the mission of the church changed? No. Has the purpose of gathering... Does God now rewrite Scripture and says, uh, it's okay to neglect to assemble yourselves together from time to time? No. He didn't rewrite. He said to do it even more as the time approaches. But we're doing it even less. But we think, well, it don't apply to me. I know that's what it says, but things have changed. Yeah, things have changed, but our need for Him... Our need to have Him priority in our life has not changed. He is the Almighty God is merely sung. He is God alone. From before time began, He was on His throne. He is who we serve. He owns us. He bought us. We act like we have a decision in this matter, and we don't. We are obligated to follow Him and to serve Him. Father, I pray this morning, God, I pray right now that You would would bless our ears to hear whatever You want us to glean from this message, Lord. God, and if any of it was just me bad-mouthing or me just out there trying to create controversy, just throw it away, Lord. But if it's true, Lord, if it's right, if we are a nation facing impending judgment, if we are a nation that has rejected you so openly for 60 years now and counting, if we are a nation that have murdered the unborn, if we are a nation that has celebrated that which you have forbidden, if we are a nation that now looks to you as being our servant instead of our God, then Lord, let us realize that judgment will come. It's in the Scriptures. It's what the book says. It's what the prophets of old wrote. It's what we know to be true. Every nation in history that has forgotten God has has drifted into oblivion. It no longer recognized, no longer visible. Why, Lord, why do we think in this country that we are exempt from the judgment of God? Why is something... Uh, why is everything always somebody else's fault? Why is every message always for somebody else? Why is conviction always about somebody else's sins? Lord, forgive us. We need a revival, Lord. As Pastor Taylor says every week, we pray for revival, but we don't need a series of services just like he says We don't need shouting and running up and down the aisle. We need repentance in this nation. We need men and women selling out again to Almighty God, confessing their sins and giving their lives over to you and treating Jesus as Lord and not as handyman. God, send that kind of stirring in our hearts. Revive us, O Lord, because many of us are dead, Lord. We're just going through the motions. Your Word, intimacy with You. Your saints, the assembly of the saints, the congregation of the righteous has lost its impact. Forgive us, Lord. Restore us. God, this place and every place that serves You ought to be full today. Ought to be full. Ought to be full. Forgive us. And Lord, give us the strength we need to stand when judgment comes. The Scripture says it would begin at a certain time in the house of God. We have sinned, Lord. We have sat back and we have watched these things happen decade by decade by decade by decade. And now we're afraid to speak out against them. 
Afraid we're going to be prosecuted and persecuted. Afraid we're going to be arrested. Afraid somebody's going to file a complaint. Give us courage, Lord, to stand. And I pray for everybody in this place. Lord, I don't know how to end this, but I pray for everybody. Man, woman, child. God, renew us. Renew us, Lord. I know it's wonderful to come to the altar and we do those things, we promote those things, and they are good things. But right now, it's where you stand. We come face to face with reality. If you don't like this message, throw it out. But if you're here and it's touched you, listen, it's time we rise. We awaken. And we stand. We don't condemn. We don't throw stones. We don't call people names. We love them because you love them. But we stand for what's right. We stand for Scriptures. Bless us to do that, Lord, I pray. Bless us to do that, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated for just a second. It's the only way I know how to end a sermon like that. I I sitting in Sunday school, we was talking about apologizing, and I can't count how many times I've apologized (laughs) from the pulpit. A lot of times I apologize before I preach. I say, listen, I know I'm about to... You know, I'm, you're gonna be upset today, so I apologize in advance. I don't apologize for anything I said.